Shalawan, and welcome to the Science of the Covenant podcast. I am Boyce Washington, and on the other side of me is the Pastor Richard Washington. And before we get started, we want to give praises to our Most High, Yahuwah, and His Son, Yahusha. Now, if you have been following us, the pastor has been doing this excellent, excellent series. If you have missed it, we uh, suggest you go back and watch it from the beginning. The Destiny of Disobedience is so much going on in the world today with our people and the destiny of disobedience addresses all of these things. So I want you to in tune today. And if this is your first time here or you haven't listened to the other series, please, I telling you, you need to go back and listen to series one through right now. I think we're on the seventh. So you want to listen to one through six. So I'm going to turn. Oh, if you have any questions or comments, well, this podcast is going on feel free to send a message in the chat or send an email at science at i'm sorry send an email to science of the covenant at gmail.com and we would try to get to your question and answer on this podcast if we can't get it on this podcast we will get to it and address it on the next one so pastor we are on what the seventh I believe. iteration no of, no I, I believe this is the eighth one isn't it uh, uh is, I think is it eight? Is the seven okay seven okay yeah because i think we did uh six last week. was the last okay well this should be the seven we can check it later but we'll go with the seven okay and turn it over to you okay thank you very much and trust that as we continue that we can uh follow step by step where we're going so we can understand where we are, where we've come from, and most of all, where we're going. Now, uh, we were primarily showing in our last discourse how that Elohim had given laws to his people of how to govern uh, servitude uh, when it came to his people taking others uh, into their organization or into their nation. And even if his covenant wasn't given to other nations, did this mean that they could treat slaves in an inhumane manner? However, this mean that did this mean that other nations <clears throat> had no knowledge of what Yah told his people about slaves, or did they possess the knowledge and just didn't follow it? So in other words, what we're looking at here other nations had slaves, but were they also under the same auspices of dealing with their slaves like Israel? And so what we will <clears throat> what we'll discover in the history of Yah's dealing with the nations, sometimes they treated slaves humane and at other times inhumane. So let us consider both these viewpoints. And we'll start with whether or not the nation Nations outside of Israel knew about Yah's commands, laws, and statutes on how to treat slaves and then proceed with whether or not their slaves were treated humane or inhumane. So this is what we want to look at, how the nations treated their slaves. We know how 
Elohim told his people to treat slaves, but we want to see what was expected of the nations outside of Israel and how they treated slaves. So as we get started, let us have a word of prayer as we get ready to start this particular discourse. Eternal Father, we thank you for another privilege, another Sabbath, another opportunity to be able to explore your word on this, your holy Shabbat. And as we do so, enrich our minds, inspire our spirits, and give us strength to be able to carry out the covenant that you have given to your people. And as we ponder through history, may we discover the things that you've done to be able to bring your people back to you, that they can be able to have a togetherness again, and also the freedom to be able to carry out your covenant the way that you have designed it. Bless my hosts, bless me, bless each listener, and most of all, bless those, O Heavenly Father, who are coming into a covenant relationship with thee, that they can know that this is the platform in which we stand in order to get into your eternal kingdom. Is our prayer in Yeshua's name. And for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. Okay, the first text that we want to uh, consider is found in the first Kings. I want to go to first Kings. And in first Kings, we want to go to chapter 20. First Kings chapter 20. And in first Kings chapter 20, we want to uh, consider verses 30 and through 31. First Kings chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. Now here the Bible says, But the rest fled to Aphek into the city, and there was a wall, and there, and there a wall fell upon 20 and 7,000 of the men uh, that were left, and being Hadad fled and came into the city into an inner chamber. And his servant said unto him, Behold, now we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Let us pray thee, put sackcloth on our loins and ropes upon our heads, and go out to the king of Israel, peradventure he was saved that thy life. Now, what we are looking at, uh, what we are experiencing in this text is that Israel has been victorious over Syria in, in, in battle. Now, Israel's king was Ahab, and Syria's king was Ben-Hadad. Now, when the Syrians were slain, their king fled to a city called Aphek where he went into an inner chamber, and his servants said unto him, Ben Hadad, behold now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. So here we are told that the Syrian nation had knowledge that Israel had merciful kings. And from this we could deduce the fact that if Syrian servants uh, of King, if the Syrian servants of King Ben-Hadad ben -Hadad, had a knowledge of the mercifulness of the kings of Israel, either they knew this from other nations around them, or 
perhaps they knew this themselves because they had learned themselves by how, by how Israel treated other nations they conquered. So what we're looking at is the Syrian nation had a knowledge either by experience or other nations and as they have observed the Israel kings taking bondage of the nations, they knew that they had merciful kings. Nevertheless, regardless of how they heard about Israel's kings, they had a knowledge of them that they were merciful. So as we said it last in the last discourse, how Elohim told his people how to govern those in whom they had conquered. And now we see in the Syrian nation had recognized that. Moreover, what is quite interesting is that this same king of Syria, Ben Hadad, he again wanted to war with Israel. Now I want us to turn to Second Kings. In Second Kings, we want to look at chapter six, chapter Kings, chapter six. And we want to consider verses 21 through 23, 2 Kings 6. Now, we're still talking about being Hadad. Now, he was overcome by Israel, but he, his servant told him that, you know, if we really want to save our lives, let, let's, let's change our posture, our clothing, and appear like we are ratchet and we are an outcast people. But let us go to these kings because they're merciful, okay? All right, now, when we look at 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 21 to 23, notice what it says. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse, starting with verse 21. And the Bible says, And the king of Israel said unto Elisha, when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? Okay, now the background of this is, is that Ben Hadad is going against Israel, but really that was not really the nation that Syria should have been going up against. They should have been going up against Samaria, but they was going up against Israel. But the Bible says, and and the king of Israel said unto Elijah, when he saw them, my father, my father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? And he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Sit bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And he prepared great provisions for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the brand, so the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. Okay, now what is this all about? This is about the fact that when Ben Hadad wanted to go against Israel, every time he tried to plot against Israel, he found somebody was leaking the plans. At least that's what he thought. He thought somebody was leaking his plans because every time he tried to get Israel, they 
his plans was throbbed, they stopped him. And he was trying to find out how is it that every time I try to get Israel, something happens that they know my plans. So when we look, uh, when he, uh, when his plans were revealed, Elijah to Elijah, and he warned Ahab, the king of Israel, concerning the intentions of what the Syrians were about to do. And when the king of Syria learned that it was Elisha, the prophet, who was counteracting his plans, he took his army to Dothan, where Elijah was. And Elijah, upon his awareness of the surrounding Syrian army, he prayed that Yah would smite them with blindness. And in doing so, he led them to Samaria, of whom their enemy was. And when their eyes were open, they were in Samaria, and the king of Israel took control of them. And when the king of Israel took control of them, then the Syrians were under their jurisdiction. And we are told from scriptures that the king of Israel said to Elijah when he saw them, my father, my father, shall I smite them? So in other words, he is saying that they had the king of Syria in their grips. And the king of Israel saying to Elijah, now should we smite them? And Elijah said, no, don't smite them. He said, treat your enemy humane. He said, if they are hungry, give them food, and if they thirst, to give them water. So this is how merciful the kings of Israel were. They did not just mistreat their slaves. They treated them with dignity. Now, from this passage again, we can see how another nation outside of Israel experienced their kindness. By this, we can see that other nations experience humane treatment by Israel, by the experience of such a treatment, they must have known about Israel's covenant with Elohim and how they were being treated by them. However, even though other nations knew of Israel's covenant, did not necessarily mean that all of them practices it. Some may have, others may have or have not treated them the same way. So let us consider now a couple of texts in the book of Ezekiel. So in other words, we are seeing that Israel treated his kings this way, but how did other nations treat them, even though they knew about how Israel treated its kings? So we want to turn to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 29, Ezekiel chapter 29, and in the 29th chapter of Ezekiel, we want to consider our verses 13 through 15. Ezekiel 29, verses 13 through 15. And it says, Yet thus said Adonai Yahuwah, at the end of every 40 years, I would gather the Egyptians from the people whether they were scattered. 
Okay, so his people were scattered among Mizraim. They were scattered uh, among uh, Egypt. He said, and I will bring again the captivity of Egypt and will cause them to return into the land of Pethros and into the land of their habitation, and they shall be there a base kingdom. It shall be the basis of kingdoms, neither shall it exalt itself of the nations, for I will diminish them that they shall no more rule over the nations. Okay? So in other words, he is saying he's going to get his people, and they were under the Egyptian bondage. They had been scattered there, but they were under the rule of the Egyptians, and he was going to bring the Egyptians' kingdom down so that they would rule no more over the nations. Okay, now, what I want to point out to you in verse 15 of Ezekiel 29, it says in the latter part of this verse, he said, for I would diminish them. Who is the them? The them is the Egyptians. He said, I, I will diminish them, that they shall no more rule over the nations. Now, I want to point you to this word, rule over the other nations. What type of rule was it? Now, we learn that one rule was martial, M-A-S-A-L, martial, which was a humane rule. But the, but the word for rule here that we discovered in our last discourse was radar. It means a rigorous rule. It means a harsh rule. It means a rule, a ship that was so hard and harsh that people spurned or did not want this type of rule. And so Elohim is saying that they shall no more radar, they shall no more uh, rule over you harshly. So when we look at radar, we are under a harsh rulership. So the word in this verse is the Hebraic word rudar, and it, it is talking about a relationship as this was a harsh and an inhumane kind. That's what it was. And Elohim is saying he's going to remove that. Okay, let us turn to another uh, text found in the book of Ezekiel. And this time we want to look at the uh, 34th chapter, Ezekiel chapter 34. And we want to consider verse 4. Okay, now here, here uh, it says, The disease have ye not strengthened, neither have ye healed that which is, was sick. Neither have ye bound up that which was broken, neither have ye brought again that which was driven away. Neither have ye sought that which was lost, but with force and with cruelty have ye ruled them. Now, what is this talking about? Elohim is looking at his own people, his own people, and he is looking at those who were considered to be the shepherd of his people. Just like a shepherd tends with his sheep, Elohim called those who were over his people shepherds, and he expected them to lead his people in the right and the correction way with the love and the compassion and the humanity that they should deserve. And he says here that he's going to remove those false shepherds who were mistreating the sheep. 
And in the latter part of verse 4, it says, but with force and with cruelty have they ruled my people. And again, this type of rule that is talked about here is Radar. Even he didn't accept this with his own people. And he said he's going to get rid of those shepherds who were doing that. So here we see in this text that Yah frowned upon this type of behavior among his people. So what we must keep in mind is that other nations did not always adhere to Israel's humane way of rulership. Moreover, we must also understand that from Sinai, Yah had a covenant which was given to Israel. It was not given to other nations. However, the Egyptians who came out of Egypt with Israel, no doubt, abided by it, but for the most part, both Israel and those other nations among them were under the obligations to be obedient to the covenant. If Israel was bound by Yah's covenant and they broke it, then it would stand to reason that they forfeited both their blessings for being obedient and their protection. Yah is not obligated to bless and to protect his people who go contrary to his laws, his statutes, which are found in his covenant, does this mean that he abandoned his people when they made a breach in his covenant? Now, within the nation of Israel, Elohim made provisions for those who broke his covenant, but for kings, priests, prophets, and people who disregarded his covenant, with no intentions of keeping it, to them, in many instances, his hand of blessings and protection was withdrawn. Elohim said, if you just intentionally go against my covenant, there is no protection for you. Furthermore, even for those who are stubborn and rebellious to his covenant, in many instances, his mercy and grace was extended to them, but his mercy and his grace may not continue throughout the period of one's alienation from him. Little did Samson know that Yah's spirit had departed from him as a result of his continuing in his folly. When Samson thought that he had strength to go against the Philistines, after playing with them for so long, he did not know that his strength was gone, and as a result, he was come down on by the Philistines, and they made mockery and sport of him. So some individuals may experience Yah's presence for a long period of time, and for others, it may only be for a short duration of time when they withdraw from his covenant. So the stipulations of his covenant must be adhered to because when we go away from the covenant, we don't know whether it may be a short time or a long time, but his retribution will come in. Elohim may or may not linger with us who are outside of his covenant. However, it would behoove his people not to presume upon his mercy. The doors of mercy can close at any time. 
while he is a merciful and gracious Yah, yet he is not to be trifled with. We cannot presume that we are going to stand apart from his covenant, and when we are incarcerated or taken captivity into other nations, that they would treat us the same way that Israel's kings. We have to understand they are not under the covenant. Israel was under the covenant, and as a result of them being under the covenant, they were given all of the stipulations and the results of breaking the covenant. Now, when Yah's people go away from his covenant, in essence, they are going away from Elohim himself. The nations who surround his people may exemplify kindness to those who are of Yah's covenant, who goes astray from it. Yet, on the other hand, there are nations who will neither be kind or considerate of those of whom they lord it over. We put ourselves in a precarious situation when we refuse to keep Yah's covenant and are taken as servants by other nations which know not nor practice Yah's ways. All over the land, Yah's people have been scattered and have come under the bondage of other people. Some are being treated humane and others inhumane. Now, from the time Yah's people have been in bondage to the present, there have been questions as to both how we as Yah's people can get out of servitude and again be restored to our freedom. We need not linger too long on the answer to these questions. It is quite obvious that if we are in that if we are in the scattered and enslaved condition we are in because we are in violation of Yah's covenant. This is why we are in this. Then naturally we can be brought together and receive our freedom by returning back to keeping Yah's covenant. Now let us go to Deuteronomy. I want to go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and into 28th chapter of Deuteronomy, we want to consider verses 65 through uh, 68. Deuteronomy 28. And Deuteronomy 28, 65 says, And among the nations shalt thou find no ease, neither shall the sole of thy foot have rest, but Yehoah shall give thee a trembling heart and a failing of eyes and sorrow of, mind, and sorrow of mind. And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee, and thou shalt fear day and night, and shalt have none assurance of thy life. In the morning thou shalt say, Would to Elohim it were even. And at even thou shalt say, would to Elohim, it were morning, for the fear of thine heart wherewith thou shalt fear, for thou, the sight of thine eyes, which thou see. And Yehoah 
shall bring thee into Egypt with ships. By the way whereof I spake unto thee, thou shalt see it no more again, and there ye shall be sold unto your enemies for bondmen and bondwomen, and no man shall buy you. Another factor, as we read these verses, another factor we must take into consideration is that these nations which took Yah's people into captivity neither treated them according to the way Israel treated their servants, nor were they obligated to do so. Furthermore, in both the transatlantic slave trade and the slave trade here in North America, they were treated <clears throat> as chattel, just like they was a piece of material property. And in some cases, not only did they treat them, the, the, the enslaved people, inhumane, but also their own people were treated the same way. Now, many foreign nations outside of Israel tyrannize its subjects. Did Elohim desire his people to be treated this way? We have to reason with ourselves and with Yah. If a nation treats its own people with oppressed means, could the enslaved people expect anything less? It is not Elohim who is at fault here. Here it is that Elohim has forewarned his people what would happen to them if they departed from the covenant. He set before them both the blessings and the curses. If Yah were to correct these nations for the inhumane treatment they exacted upon others, then what punishment would he exact upon his people for breaking for making a breach in his covenant. For after all, both the coven covenant-less people and his people who were enslaved by breaking his covenant, how does he reprimand one without others seeing they are both in violation of his covenant? So if the nations who are not keeping his covenant and his people who are breaking his covenant find themselves together, how can he reprimand one without reprimanding the other? The others are not keeping his covenant, and Elohim's people who are supposed to keep it are not keeping it. So how can he come down upon the people who are oppressing them when the very people who are under their oppression is the same people who are breaking his covenant? So when we depart from our covenant relationship of our Heavenly Father, aren't we not only taking a chance, but we are also presuming upon Yah's grace. If we know what his covenant says and what the results are, both if we keep it or break it, then why would we stand in dismay when we find ourselves in an adverse circumstance? Elohim isn't the author of confusion. 
he has spelled out plainly both the consequences for our obedience and disobedience. Okay. So whenever we think in terms of breaking this covenant, we must understand that we are standing upon presumptuous grounds. Elohim has given the stipulation, and when he gives the stipulation, we must be in obedience to them, or we have to suffer the consequences that has come upon his people. Now, let us turn to Matthew. Let us turn to Matthew chapter 4. Chapter 4. Okay. Now, in Matthew chapter 4, we're going to review verse 7. The Bible says, this is talking about the devil. When Yeshua was in the wilderness with the devil, the devil tried to get him to perform some presumptuous acts. He wanted him to go against something that was plainly understood that he should not go against, and the devil wanted him to go against. So in cases uh, where the devil was challenging him, Yeshua responded, with, it is written, and it is still on the record. What did he say when the devil tried to get him to do something that he know he should not do? So in verse 7 it says, And Yeshua said unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt Yahuwah thy Elohim. So in other words, Elohim, the word was the thing that got Yeshua through the wilderness with the devil. He would not yield to what the devil was suggesting to him. And so when Israel departed from his will by being presumptuous, knowing full well what the covenant was, that if you obey, you will be blessed. If you disobey, you would not be blessed. They knew this. It was presumptuous for them to believe that they could leave the covenant and be on the enemy's territory and receive a just treatment. Was Elohim putting this treatment on it? No. But what Elohim was trying to tell them, if you leave the covenant, you'll put in this treatment upon yourself because these nations don't believe what I've taught y'all. So if you go on their ground, if they are merciful, fine. But if they are unmerciful, you have put yourself there on presumptuous to believe that you can leave my will and expect the other nations to treat you as you would be treated among your own people. So what we're seeing is presumptions among his people and leaving his covenant and getting the results of what we are seeing today in North America. Eternal Father, help us to have a clarity of your covenant to be able to come back to it in such a way that your people can be regathered for the second exodus and to be protected. Because when we protect your covenant, then you protect your covenant-keeping people. In Yeshua's name, we do ask it, and for his dear sake, we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. So, uh, first question, will those who, even though our ancestors uh, violated the covenant, and they was under harsh rule. So the ones who oppressed the people, since they didn't have a covenant, they will not uh, receive any harsh treatment back? 
Uh, eventually, eventually they will. They mm-hmm. will. Uh, and we, I believe we may have something in this course that we, we, we would deal with that. Okay. In other words, their inhumane treatment is, is not justified simply because they didn't have the covenant. Uh-huh. But it, it, it does speak to the, to the fact that uh, nations that do not know our covenant would certainly not practice it. And mm. they, even if they know it, uh, they they want to get the supremacy by forcing us to do what we're going to do. And this is like when the United States and the legislative halls of Congress began to make laws that we cannot worship the way that we want to. Mm-hmm. They'll have also radar or that harsh, rigorous form uh, that would be put on us eventually. And... When they do that, those of us who are keeping the covenant, some of us will be able to escape and some of us will not. But we know in the end that they who put this uh, harsh treatment on us by killing us and threatening us, that they will be punished by Elohim himself. He, he has a punishment for them. So mm-hmm. just like the kings in days of old and also our nation, Mm-hmm. In the future, they will do the same thing, but they will receive their retribution. They will be, uh, uh, this is the part of the punishment of those who go against Elohim's people. Yes, they will receive it. But right now is being permitted because Elohim's people is, is not quite coming to land either. So if he correct them without correcting us, I mean, he, he would have a double standard. He is saying, well, uh, I'm correcting them, but it's all right for you to break the covenant. No, mm-hmm. no, no, no. He can't. He can't practice that. If you if if you're not practicing this covenant and they not practicing, then both of y'all in the same boat. Uh, so, also, um, since Israel followed Yah's laws about having servants and slaves, I just wonder too. Is that part of the reason? Maybe it's in our DNA. Why um, all the things that has happened to us here in this nation? and as well as in other nations where we were scattered to, uh, why we haven't risen up neither and been uh, defiant. Uh, well, it's an DNA, but we have risen up, but we just, uh-huh. we, we haven't had the weapons and the stuff that the other nations have. Remember, when we were stripped. When we came to this country, we were stripped of our culture. Uh-huh. Uh, we were stripped of our covenant. We were stripped of our language. We were stripped of our people. We had no resources. We were rebelling, but but we we could only rebel with what we had. And one of the ways that we fought rebellion was that we came up with humor and comedy. This is why some of the comedy that we see today is came out of slavery because we wasn't using comedy that we were happy, but we was using that to kind of cope with the society in which we was in. I mean, there were people like Nat Turner who got the weapons and the stuff that he had, and he took them out. Mm-hmm. You know, but to the most part, the majority of us didn't have those weapons and things. We fought, but we fought with the best that we could. And sometimes the only thing that we had to fight with is to strategize and to think of ways and means of try to be to try to survive. And then, if possible, think of ways where we can get off of the plantation and stuff. We fought, but we we only fought uh, with what we had. And then, since we did not even slavery come back to the covenant, we fought the best we could, 
And then with not being able to come back to the true covenant, we did not have a knowledge of what Elohim required of us. This is why that eventually when we were emancipated, that our leaders brought us so far, but they did not bring us fully back into the covenant. And this is why even after the emancipation, we are still experiencing uh, this type of uh, servitude and treatment uh-huh. that we were sla- we were receiving in slavery because we have not come fully back to the covenant. But he still has been gracious to us to bring us, bring us, bring us this far. But yeah, we fought. We fought to what we had. This is why, this is why when we get in, in, in into our time, that Dr. King he had nonviolence. It wasn't just nonviolence because he wanted to be nonviolent. Uh-huh. It was nonviolent because we didn't have the weapons and stuff to fight like the other, uh, uh, the like the nation that was was against us. But. but like you said, it was in our DNA, so nonviolence was something that uh, was already in us. And then when he came along with doing what Mahatis K. Gandhi did in India when he was nonviolent and Dr. King took the nonviolence approach, then it was something that was in our DNA. But Malcolm X said uh, he could not go along with that. Mm-hmm. He said, you hit me, I hit you back. And so he and... Dr. King had a different strategy, but both of them was trying to emancipate their people, one with violence and one with nonviolence. Malcolm said, we will not start to fight, but if you start it, we'll, we'll deal with you. So uh, other nations didn't have to adhere to Yah's law since they didn't have a covenant with Yah? Okay, let's, let's, let's go back. Let's, let's kind of go back in the history so we can see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. See, what, what we are experiencing today didn't start today. Where did it start? It started way back in the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. It started with our first parents. Okay, so when the first parents rebel by eating of the fruit, then they put themselves on the ground of the perpetrator. Okay, so what happened is when Adam had his first son, Cain, Cain turned out to be a murderer. And then they had a second son who was able and whom Cain murdered. Mm-hmm. And Cain started another line. And then they had Seth. And then when Seth started, there was another line. You had two lines. You had Cain and Abel. And if you read in the Bible, uh, you'll see that these two lines continue to increase and to grow. And so Elohim had a line coming from Enoch and Methuselah and that, and Cain had a line that was contrary to the principles of what Elohim was teaching. So as these lines continued to grow, they reached a point in which Elohim had to destroy this world by water. And when he destroyed it, then everybody was destroyed other than Noah, and Noah was in the line of what Elohim wanted, but their children, when they have Ham, Shem, and Japheth, mm-hmm. then what what happened? Uh it was the line of Shem that continued to go in the way that Elohim wanted, and the other did not. And so by the time that Israel had come along under, under Jacob, they had come through a, 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 what we might, might call a holy line. Mm-hmm. Even though they made mistakes, yes, but they were in the holy line. And so when they came, came along, the other nations that had been developed from, from Cain and also from Elohim's people who had gone astray, 
uh, of the Hamitic people and the Japhetic people, uh-huh. then the Semitic people continued on in the land in which Elohim wanted. So uh, Elohim was continually to re re reiterate or to renew his covenant with his people, but he did not renew his covenant with uh, with 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 the Hamitic people and the Japhetic people. They oh, they were okay. not a part of that. He did it with Israel. Okay, so if he did it with Israel, he is saying the other nations are made up their mind. They don't want me. Mm-hmm. Now, they can practice humane treatment or inhumane treatment because they're not in my covenant. They didn't want it in the first place. Way back then, they didn't want it, and now they don't want it today. So they're going to treat you any way they, they want to treat you. Not that I'm endorsing it, but I'm saying if you want me to protect you, you've got to stay in my covenant. You got to stay there, okay? So it is it it, it 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 is saying here that yes, they knew the covenant, but they didn't want it. And since they didn't want me, I didn't want them. So I gave it to my people. They are responsible for it, but not not them. I would that they would, but they didn't want it. And so now the historical perspective that we see mm-hmm. is now reaching us down into the end of time that when you rebel against him, then you have to suffer those consequences. Um, also, uh, what is the land of Pathros? Uh, I think that was one of the nations. I, I don't. Uh, uh, um, I, I don't have read right, right offhand. I don't. I don't have it. I was trying to just use okay. the words. It was. It was. It was. Uh, down there by Egypt, I could trace, trace it out, but right now I don't. Uh, it's not fresh on my mind as to uh, Pathros. I know I mentioned it, but I was mentioning it in relationship to Radar, which was that harsh treatment that Egypt had upon his people. So, what was that was talking about? Uh, that um, Israel would go into slavery back again into Egypt or is that saying Egypt was going into slavery? Hmm, not, and not in that particular passage. Oh, okay. uh, when we go on the back, that's, that's the text in Deuteronomy. Uh-huh. But, when, but when we were talking about uh, Pathros, uh-huh. <clears throat> I think that was primarily uh, dealing with Egypt. Let's, let's turn back there to, I think that was uh, Ezekiel 29. Uh, <clears throat> I think it was Ezekiel 29, and I think that was uh, that was speaking about uh, Pathros. Let me see here. All right, Pathros. Okay. Uh, let me see. Uh, let me see. Oh yeah, Ezekiel 29, 14. He said, "And I will bring <clears throat> again the captivity of Egypt." And will cause them to return into the land of Pathros, into the land of their habitation, and they shall be there a base nation. So I, I think uh, Pathros is pretty close, or or, or part of the Egyptian Empire. Okay. Yeah, but this was a little different from Deuteronomy when it was talking about the curses and stuff. Okay. Uh, we have a question uh-huh. uh, so when he's emailed and it reads what does it mean in Ezekiel twenty eight sixty eight? ye shall be sold unto your enemies for bondmen and bondwomen and no man shall buy you 
doesn't mean sold doesn't sold mean buy uh i think it's there mean deuteronomy 2868 oh yeah the one across uh deuteronomy don't have, i mean ezekiel don't have that many chapters okay let's turn yeah. to deuteronomy okay and let's go back to deuteronomy okay 28 okay uh uh let me uh, read it again so I can get the essence of the question. Okay. What does it mean in Deuteronomy 28, 68? Ye, 68. Shall, mm -hmm. ye shall be sold unto your enemies for bond men and bond women, and no man shall buy you. Doesn't sold mean buy? And no man, ye shall be sold. Yeah. Yeah, it it means to buy. Uh, yeah, they said you you uh, and they uh, and there ye shall be sold. Yes, so if you're sold, somebody's buying you. Right, that's true. Mm -hmm. Unto your enemies for bond men and bond women, and no man shall buy you. So what that is saying is that they'll be sold into enslavement. And once they are sold, somebody's going to buy them. And once the person who bought them, uh, nobody else is going to come and purchase them and to give them their freedom. That's that's simply what that's saying. Yeah, because uh, I know um, how, well, I, I was talking a year or two ago with a co-worker. And uh, we, I was telling him about, you know, us going into slavery that, we were the only ones that was taken on slave ships into slavery. And I guess he studied into history and he said, uh, I don't know if I totally agree with that. So I did some research and looked up some, and there was, uh, other people that was transported into slavery. But the difference was because I think this would happen around in the black sea of the European nations that they would take people, and enslaved them, but if the family paid a ransom, then they would earn their freedom. But with this slavery, as you just read in Deuteronomy 28, no one paid for us to get out of bondage and set us free. Yeah, and I think another factor um, that has to be considered uh, in the text, in, the, in verse 68, it says, <clears throat> and Elohim shall bring thee into Egypt again mm -hmm. with ships. Now, According to the Bible scholars and what I read and what I understand, he said, when you take into, into Egypt again, the word Egypt is used in a symbolical sense to believe that uh, it's representing bondage uh -huh. because the Israelites knew what it was to be an Egyptian bondage. So when they were taken into uh, Egypt again, it was not literal Egypt. It was taken into bondage again. And even when you look at the book of Revelation, it, the word Egypt is being mentioned in Revelation, mm -hmm. but not the literal uh, nation of Israel, but it was talking about the practices and the way that they dealt with Elohim that they were in Egypt. You know, when you, when you, when you don't, when the pharaohs didn't worship the true Elohim and they caused the ten plagues to come down and destroy Egypt. Uh, Egypt became symbolic of uh, idolatry. It became symbolic of atheism, 
and putting away the true Elohim. So when in, in Revelation, when it mentioned the word Egypt, it is talking about it is talking about the idolatrous practices and not worshiping the true Elohim. So when it talks about Egypt here, it is not talking about literal Israel. It is talking about idolatrous Egypt, which means that you'll be in a nation that they don't believe in your true Elohim. They believe in idolatrous practices and stuff. Just when you read Deuteronomy 28, it not only talks, it even tells you about uh, how you'll be worshiping uh, gods and stuff of stone and wood and stuff like that, uh-huh. idolatry, okay? So, and then another factor you have to take in consideration is that they will come in ships. Now, in the transatlantic trade, uh, uh, slave trade, uh, many of them didn't really need ships because if you look at the land mass, they didn't need ships to get the slaves to where they were going. They need the slaves to get across the waters. Okay. Yeah. Now, if you talk about the transatlantic slave trade, okay, well, the Atlantic Ocean was over there uh, where they were. So, in the areas like Egypt, why would why would it if they already been in in, in Egypt once? Now, this has to make sense. If they've been in Egypt once, and you saying they're going in Egypt again by ships. Well, the first time they came into Egypt, they came in from the from the land of Cana into Egypt. So they didn't come by ships then. So if they go on into Egypt again, how, how how would they need to come by ships? There was no water that needed to be traveled in. They just came down there on the land. Yeah. Even Yeshua, when he was a child, and Elohim told him to go down into Egypt, Mary and Joseph to go down to Egypt, he surely didn't have to get on a ship to go to Egypt. They got on that donkey and went on down there. So if it's talking about getting on ships, they had to come to a distant land. And the only distant land, logically, that you can see was the Americas. And when they came to Americas, uh, then that's when they came on the ships. And by the time the Europeans and the different people was coming over here to establish the United States of America, they were also endorsing slavery at the t- same time. And that's when we had to come up in the bondage on the so-called civilized people. They were putting us in bondage. So uh, when they came over by ships, this prophecy can only fit North America. Okay, with that, uh, we will go into our next segment. Okay. Up next is Let's Talk About That. So in this week, I want to talk about hate and hatred. Uh, we've been seeing a lot of hate and hatred, not only just in the media and everything that's been going on, but I think we deal with it a lot within our lives, whether it's in our families, friends, or dealing with other nations. So if you have your Bibles, if you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read verses 43 through 45. Again, that's chapter Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45. And it reads, Ye have heard that it has been said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, and do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil 
end on the good and send his rain on the just and on the unjust. So we see here that the most high dealing with hatred that and dealing with our enemies that he wants us to show them love as opposed to uh, hating our enemies. So, Pastor, I want to ask you this. Um, Will, does y'all know, and the reason why he's telling us we should love them rather than hate them is because that if we hate them, it will lead to other sins? Uh, it will, but, you know, it's a lot broader than that, though. Uh, it's a lot broader. So let's look at the broadness of uh, of uh, of hate. Okay. Okay. First of all, where does hate come from? Okay. Uh, well, hate come from lies. If you tell a lie on a person, uh, that's that's where it come comes from. Okay. So lies. Well, actually, let's kind of go to the base. Let, let's go. Let's let's go to the base of this thing. I think that's a good question you asked. Uh, we need to go to the base. Of, let's go to Genesis, and we're gonna find out where all this stuff came from. Okay. Let's go to Genesis, uh, uh, chapter three, and and uh, we want to go to verse ten. Okay. Genesis chapter three verse ten. Now notice what it said. Now this this we're talking about the story of how uh, Eve was deceived by the serpent, and then she gave fruit to her husband and he ate it. Okay, we won't we won't get get to the basis of hate. Okay. Okay. All right. Now notice what it says in verse ten of the third chapter of Genesis, and he said, "I have heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid." Okay. To be afraid means that you're fearful. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, where does fear come from? Fear come from lies, because when Satan had told them a lie, they began to fear. They didn't have no fear before the lie was told. Mm. Okay? So after uh, they had to fear, it came from a lie. And where does a lie come from? A lie come from hatred. Satan hated Elohim, so he couldn't get Elohim. So the closest people that he could get to that he could uh, vindicate his hatred on was Adam and Eve. So you go from fear to lies to hatred. And where does hatred lead? Uh The Bible says that Satan, and I think it's in in the Gospel of John, the Besor of John 8.44, that the devil was a liar and he was also a murderer. So what are we seeing? Fear come from lies, and then from lies, we have hatred, and from hatred, we have murder. Wow. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay, now, what I want you to see here is that when you got fear that come from lies that causes us to hate and to murder, it is a lifestyle. Uh-huh. Yes, it is spreading more evil, but it becomes a lifestyle, and our lives become contaminated with that. So if we don't love people and to do what Elohim wants to say, we take on the same attribute as this Satan. And not only do you have a corrupt people 
who are against Elohim, but even Elohim's people, if they take on that same type of personality, they are ad- identifying with our enemy. And if the enemies and those of us who are supposed to be against the enemies are doing the same thing, then how are we going to be redeemed into his kingdom with that type of attitude? Okay, so how do we deal with fear? Because fear is the basis of all of this. Mm-hmm. We have to exchange fear for what? For faith. Mm. And then fear that leads to lies, we have to change the lies to what? To truth. And then the lies that lead to hatred, we have to change that hatred to love. And the hatred that leads to murder, we have to change that murder to life. So when we have faith, truth, love, and life, it makes us Elohim's children. It makes us his children because we love one another. How can we love? Because we have the truth. We know the truth is that there's not one person that is better than another person. Uh So I don't have to hate you because he's built us all the same. We have all the, the same equipment. So when faith takes the place of fear and when truth takes the place of lies and love takes the place of hatred, and life take the place of murder, then we become Elohim's children, and we are built upon that. And Elohim looks upon his children, and when he sees that we love one another, we are following in the footsteps of Yeshua. When he was on the cross, he could have cursed them out, he could have hated them, but he didn't. Uh-huh. He said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He still had that love. And if we're going to follow the Messiah, we have to walk with faith, truth, love, and life. Uh-huh. So even though our enemies and everything persecute us, we should still come at them with love. Because just like how, how you explained in your discourse today, how his people had a certain way of treating uh, casualties of war in so many words, with dignity and respect mm-hmm. and all. And it seems that this is the order of his things. And to me, it, even though it still points back to Yah and his love, you know, if we were to treat people in a certain manner, even though they have treated us harshly. You know. Yeah, well, see, love uh, it, it, it is the thing that, that, that motivated Elohim to create us in the first place. Uh-huh. And when that love is in his children... This means that this is what they characterize. So if a person is evil and you go according to their evil ways, they they have dominated you. Mm. But if you love in spite of their evil, then you are saying that that love that you have is greater than the evil that they have and that love can overcome their evil. But if you succumb to their hatred, then that means that their hatred has dominated your love. So your love is not that strong. This is why the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So Mm -hmm. if you allow the love to dominate you, then when you fight evil, you fight it not with hatred, but you fight it with love. Okay. And so when you fight it with love, then you are showing that the the greatest force in your life is love. Mm -hmm. And even though you may not convert or change a person's heart, who hates, but in the end, the love that you had is not only going to redeem you, but 
is going to give you the character of uh, 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 of what Elohim is looking for. Mm-hmm. So we can't allow hatred and lies and murder to dominate us because all of these things that we call hatred eventually is going to lead to death. Mm-hmm. Just like when, when Esau hated his brother Jacob, mm-hmm. his mother Rebecca knew that that hatred that Esau had for Jacob would eventually lead into death. So she told Jacob, you better get out of here. That's what it's going to lead to. But love leads to life. When you love, it's going to lead to life. And so that must be the dominating factor that 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 we must possess even with our enemies. He said, love your enemies and do good to those who despitefully use you and mistreat you. He said, still love them mm-hmm. because that's the dominant force. I mean, you're not going to purposely... Uh, uh, I mean, you're not going to purposely try to put yourself in a position that they can misuse you, but if you're in it, you still love because that's the dominate force of your life because that's the dominate force of Elohim's life. And even I believe when Elohim destroyed the wicked, mm-hmm. he, he he's not doing it out of hatred. He's doing it out of love because he knows that's not going to be the best life for you. You know, uh, do, do you think, too, that even though... Yah's chosen people may not know it. Does do you feel that his chosen still exuberate his love even after all the things they have went through from a certain people? Because just like how I asked you about earlier um, about us not rising up, you know, as a people to fight against the oppression that we have been, and I wonder is some of that is tied to because we are loving and forgiving people out of everything that has been done to us. Cause you look at other nations. I don't know if other nations are that forgiving and, and, and loving when, if they were put in the same situation. Well, that might, that might be so. Uh, <clears throat> I haven't really studied all these nations and know that, but that, that might be so. But, but one of the things that I look at is, uh, uh, I think to a large extent, even the worst of us who are not even keeping all of the covenant, we still have those loving attributes and, uh, and uh, traits uh, of behavior, of love, even after, you know, we have been trampled down. Mm-hmm. It's like when Dillard Root shot those nine people down in uh, South Carolina in that church. Mm-hmm. Um, they forgave him. They, they, they forgave him, you know. Uh, but, what, but, but, but what we are looking at is that even with the forgiveness and the treatment, that we have given to others who have perpetrated the atrocities upon us as they should, that I think somehow, in some way, I think we realize that uh, even though they did that to us, it was not totally them who did it. We did it to ourselves by breaking the covenant. Mm. And when we broke the covenant, we realized that we exposed ourselves to evils to come upon us that would not have. And I think we recognize some of that, not all of it, but we mm-hmm. recognize some of that. And when we are treated that way, I think we still have the forgiveness attitude. And then I think also uh, among our DNA is this, is that when people mistreat us and we still forgive them is the fact that we know ultimately, even if the courts does not give us uh, just treatment, that Elohim has a way of giving retribution to those who have done things to us. 
that will compensate for what has happened to us. Mm. Okay, and I, I think we as people recognize it. We, uh, and even though a lot of our people have gone to Islam and different places that have mistreated us, mm -hmm. but in our day and age, sometimes the same people that mistreated us in history, they have been able to come to our aid, just like the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Uh, people say, well, why would you join a, a religion like that, that the Islam was against the black people? Well, that's true. But if you're starving and don't have a job and somebody can, who historically has mistreated you that is now treating you well, are you going to tell that, pe that person, I don't want nothing to do with you? No, if you're hungry, you want, you want to be fed. If you are outdoors, you want a house. If you're naked, you want clothes. And if they can provide for that, even though historically they have mistreated you, you go with them. If the church had to help, help the black people or the Negroes, as they call, in the, after the emancipation and the reconstruction period of this country, if they had to help the black man, maybe Islam and the black nation, uh, 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 and the nation of Islam, they probably wouldn't have joined those because they would have had humane treatment from the church itself. Mm -hmm. But the church didn't give it to them. Yeah. And then people say, well, why would black people vote for Democrats? Because the Democrats did this all to you. But when the Democrats turned around and did something good for the people who were suffering, they, they went with it. They didn't sit down and analyze this thing and say, well, the Democrats did this to us. No, if the Democrats is helping you at a certain time, that's what you join, even though the Republicans may have been more in your corner. So the point that I'm trying to emphasize is the fact that when we as a people forgive there's a basis for what we are, we are doing it on. And the forgiveness is not the saying that was okay for you to do it to us, but the forgiveness is saying this is a part of our nature, and we know that retribution is going to be given to you. The Bible teaches that. Wow. Um, we have a question. And it reads, do you believe that the mass shootings from other races after one of our people were killed be a way of payback from the way they were tr they have treated us? Okay, let me, let, let me answer that. Uh, uh, I, I think some of us, we are, we, you know, uh, we are familiar with the pen of inspiration. Now, the pen of inspiration says this. She says that when the Negro was taken into slavery and they dehumanized the Negro mm -hmm. and the slave treatment, and I think a lot of us, we don't look at this angle, and, I, and due to the question, I'm bringing this out. She says that when they dehumanized the Negro, in doing that, they were dehumanizing themselves. Now, this is, uh, this is a paraphrase, not the exact quote. This is a paraphrase. She said they were dehumanizing themselves. So you cannot dehumanize another nation without dehumanizing yourself, okay? Oh. Mm -hmm. So when you dehumanize yourself, then the same people that you exploited and you treated us like chattel slavery, the same oppressor that treated us this way is going to do the same thing to his people. It's not us. And it really is not Elohim that is cursing them. They are cursing themselves. When you treat another human being inhumane, eventually it's going to come back home. This is why when Malcolm X made the statement when Kennedy was killed that the ch chicken came home to roost. Mm -hmm. But he was saying if they kill us, 
the same perpetrator is going to come back and kill his own people. So the curse that they did to us is the curse that is coming back on the they themselves. They are cursing themselves when they do that. When you re mistreat another person, you're mistreating yourself. And when you start mistreating yourself, it's going to come home in a way that you did not expect it to come. And when it comes, then you have to suffer for it. But another thing that Elohim does that they cannot, number one, they can't take him to court for what he does. Mm. He uses yeah. the weather like hurricanes and catastrophes and floods to overcome a nation that has mistreated the people in a nation inhumanely. He causes those things to occur. And when they occur, it's nothing they could do. They can't, they can't whoop him. <laughs> Nobody can whoop Elohim for what he does. No. But he can take and whoop you and get you back in line. And if you don't do it, according to the Bible in Deuteronomy, he said, if you don't obey what I've said, then I'm going to put a, a sevenfold curse on you. I'm going I'm to keep on cursing you. So if you want to keep on cursing, you keep, keep on thinking that you got white privilege. You keep on misusing people. You keep on exploiting people, and it's going to come back home. Wow. Well, before we go, and Pastor, before we I ask you to give us prayer, we have a prayer request that came in. Uh, it's a 32-year-old young man who has been diagnosed with colon cancer. And so we want to, if we can, all of us send our prayers out for this young man that Yah will outpour his holy healing from heaven and to heal him of this ailment. And so, Pastor, could you please, as you know, bring us okay. to prayer to pray for this young man? Okay, it's interesting that you brought that in because I was talking to my brother yesterday. I think he got a some somewhat of a colon cancer, too, that wow. he said he might have to take radiation. Mm -hmm. So I can include both of them on that particular prayer. All right, thank you for your prayer request. We certainly will be praying for that. Anything else? Uh, no, that was it. Okay. I love it, Father. We thank you that we can be able to come together again, be able to see why we are in the condition that we are in and how we can get out of the condition in which we find ourselves, that we can come up to your covenant promises and the laws and the statutes which are contained therein, that we may be able to be your children. And now, fathers, we get ready to close this broadcast. We ask that you would give us a Sabbath day and a Sabbath day's blessing. Between my host and his family, be with each listener and their families, be with me and my family, and may all of us, Lord, be able to respect and to obey the covenant that we may get the blessings that you have in store for us. So as we close out this broadcast, we want to be able to put before you our prayer request that the 32-year-old man, 32-year-old young fellow that has colon cancer, and we would ask, O oh, Heavenly Father, that your hand may be upon him, that you may give him the graces that is needed, that as he get his medical treatment, O oh, Heavenly Father, that you would guide the understanding of those who have studied in the field of medicine, that he may be able to get the things that, are, that he needs in order to come back against this, that he may have all of the benefits of having the life, and not only to have life, but to have life more abundantly that you have sent through your son, Yeshua, to be able to give us the healing that we need. So we ask that your hand may be upon his mind to give him a peace and be upon his spirit to give him the inspiration and be upon his physical body to give him the healing that he may have the shalom, 
the shalom that we're talking about is peace. And the peace that we're talking about is to have the wholeness and the wellness within his body. So do for him and his family that which is needed, that the next time we hear, we may hear that he is doing much better than that which he was and that they have a handle on the situation in which he's dealing with. Pray not only for him, but pray for my brother as well, that as he copes with this thing, oh, Heavenly Father, and he has to have radiation, that somehow in some way, Lord, that you may be able to get this cancer out of his body and to do for him that which is needed, that he may be able to regain wholeness of health, that he may be able to give your name to praise. So as we put these two individuals on your list, oh, Heavenly Father, that you will disappoint us not and to give us the things or to give them the things that they stand in need, that in the end we can give your name to praise. Now, Father, if there be any other request that is according to your will that we need, that you fail not and supplant it, and we can give your name the praise, the honor, and the glory, majesty, dominion, power, and all of the thanks for your wonderful blessings. We pray this prayer in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, and for his dear sake we do pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. And we want to remind you, if you have any questions or comments and even prayer requests, please email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com, and we will be happy to get to them. That is our podcast for this week. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at scienceofthecovenant at gmail.com. O ye seed of Yasharel, his servant, ye children of Yaakov, his chosen ones. He is Yahuwah Eloheinu, his judgments are in all the earth. Be ye mindful of his ways, of his covenant, the word which he commanded unto a thousand generations. Until next week, Shalom.